Yeah, I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss that uh, that bumper when the series is over. I just want to say welcome to everybody uh, around Parkview this weekend, uh, to all of our campuses and New Linux, Homer Glen, everybody around Orland, everybody watching online. We're getting ready to wrap up this series called Divine direction this weekend. And before we dive into this last study today, I also want to make you aware that uh, Pastor Tim and a whole bunch of our Parkview crew, you may know this, they're over in Israel right now. And uh, Pastor Tim actually sent us back a little on-location video from the Jordan River. So we want to run that today so you can see part of where they are and what's going on over there. Guys, run that video. Hey, Parkview, I'm in the Jordan River. I wish you were here with us. Um, we're doing mass baptisms next weekend, which means if you haven't done this, uh, like a whole pile of people are going to do with us today in Israel in the Jordan River, I want to tell you something. This next weekend, we are gonna, I'm going to bring some of the water back. It's going to be at all three of our campuses. We're going to put some of it in the tub, okay? So it'll be the same as you being in the Jordan River. You'll have Jordan River baptism. If you've been thinking about doing it, pray about it. We're going to do it this weekend, all right? Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Uh, was, was he wearing a skirt? Uh, was, that, was that me? Okay, that's probably a normal thing when you're on a mission trip in Israel. I don't know. I'm not going there. Uh, it's going to be an awesome weekend next weekend. If you have never been baptized, what a great weekend to do it as we come into this Thanksgiving and Christmas season. Baptism is picturing with your life what Jesus did with his life. Here he is on the cross. He's buried in the tomb. He raises again. Here you are. You're buried in the water. You raise again to a new life saying, I want to follow after Jesus. So if you've never done that, Man, next weekend would be a great weekend for that. Also, next weekend is Vision Weekend. Tim's going to be talking about how, how we stay on mission around here at Parkview. With everything going on in our lives, in our world, in our city, how do we stay on mission? So it's going to be awesome. Don't miss next weekend, Vision Weekend, Baptism Weekend, leading us into this holiday season. It's going to be awesome. Today, we are going to wrap up this Divine Direction series. And if you've been around here the last few weeks, you know that this right here has been our touchstone, kind of our motto for the series. It says the decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. And you know that's true. A lot of what you do today, the decisions you make today, determine who you look like tomorrow. And, and who you are today is determined largely by the decisions you made yesterday and the day before and the week before and that sort of thing. Just a few weeks ago when I launched into this Divine Direction series, I mentioned that a lot of times we don't make super great decisions. Sometimes we make poor choices in our lives. And to get us going in that direction, I showed you this picture a couple weeks ago. Some of you will remember this. It's a poor decision that this person made. Yeah, that's, that's not a good choice, right? And, and since then, since I showed you this picture a couple of weeks ago, several of you, many of you actually through Facebook and Instagram and things like that, have been sending me other photos of people making poor decisions. And so I thought I would just share a few of those with you. How about this one? <laughs> These guys using each other as the scaffolding there to kind of build that house. That's a poor uh, choice that we've made right there. What about this one? These guys... 
I mean, what can go wrong there, right? Just drop it down to me. Just, just drop the couch down. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be good. And then this last one here, I, I've been living with this one for a week or two now. And it's not like one of those eerie, spooky ones. But I'm telling you, the longer you look at this one, the more problematic it becomes. Ah. He sees he's wrapped up inside that playground equipment, and you're thinking, first of all, why is a guy this age at the playground? Right? What in the world is he doing getting wrapped up in that thing? We just sometimes we don't make the wisest decisions. And in this series, Tim and I have been trying to combine to help help us see some of God's wisdom and some of God's direction for our lives. Just uh, this past week or so, uh, Tim was talking about this. He said, if you want to get some divine direction in your life, first of all, you have to walk with the wise. And then as you're walking with the wise, you begin to ask God for guidance. And, and the Bible says if we'll ask God for wisdom, if we'll ask God for guidance, he'll give it to us. Maybe you get up a little bit earlier. Maybe you stay up a little bit later at night and just say, God, I really need your direction. And the Bible promises that he'll give it to us. And then once we get God's wisdom in our lives, his direction in our lives, you have to decide to take a step. You, you actually have to have the faith to start in a new direction and taking that step for God and for his sake. And, and I'll tell you this, I know that many of you around Parkview have been receiving some divine direction from God over these last few weeks of this series. And that divine direction, that, that place that he's leading you to has actually become a divine burden in, in your heart. It's something that you feel like you have to do. Maybe for some of you it's going back to school and finishing up that degree that you didn't finish a few years or even a decade ago. For some of you, you know this, this isn't an easy one, but you know that God is directing you back to some relationships. Maybe somebody in your family, maybe someone in your neighborhood who you've kind of cut things off with because it was hard, because it was painful, and I get it. But you have this thing in your heart where you feel like especially during this Thanksgiving Christmas season coming up, that God is directing you back to them and you need to just reach out again. And you feel that beating in your heart. For some of you, it's, it's like restarting rehab because you know you have some things in your life that you just haven't been able to beat and take care of on your own. You need some people around you. Or some of you, maybe it's starting a new ministry or start starting a small group in your home or starting to tithe and give back to God. I've talked to a person in the last few weeks who wants to start a new nonprofit. And, and that's amazing. There's, I, I believe in this room, young and old, there's all kinds of first steps that, that God is leading you towards in, in his divine direction. But I want you to know this. If you want to take that divine direction from God, if you want to do something significant for God, and his kingdom. I also want you to remember what Pastor Tim said just this last week. Doing anything significant for God will always be met with resistance. How many of you know that's true? As soon as you start to step out in your family, as soon as you start to step out at work or at school and say, man, I'm going to listen to God, I'm going to do this, there's almost always some resistance that comes. Anytime you're trying to do things that are significant for God, check this out. It, it's almost always the start that stops us. I want to do something great. I want to begin to walk where God is leading me. But it's almost always the start that stops us. It's that first step of walking 
in a direction that God is calling us. Uh, let me tell you one of the greatest things that I've learned over the last many years of my life about doing something great and significant for God and his kingdom in our families, in our neighborhood, our schools, our workplaces. The greatest thing I've learned about doing significant things for God is this. You start small. You just start small. You have the faith to start. You don't always know where it's going to go. You don't know what God's going to do with the conversation, with the email, with the investment, with whatever you're going to buy or build or launch, but you just start out into it. I'll tell you, one way I know this is from talking to you. Another way I know it is just from my own life. Uh, About seven years ago on Thanksgiving time, I was with some family in Texas, and I had just started into photography. I'd bought a new Nikon camera. I was really getting into photography. And seven years or so ago on Thanksgiving, I posted several pictures online that that, uh, I had taken. And I put them on my Facebook. This is one of them that I put Online, I took this picture in the Dominican Republic, and I, I call it the table for two. And during that Thanksgiving season, again, back six, seven, eight years ago now, I had all kinds of people commenting on it, saying, oh, that's cool, or commenting on another one. But then this picture right here specifically, I had several people over that Thanksgiving say, I'd love to buy it. Could I buy that picture? I'd never sold a picture before. I'm thinking, no, I don't need to do that. And they're asking, how big can you make it? You know, I want that in my house or above the couch or something like that. And and I said, well, I I don't think so. But then it started getting me thinking. And so over the next few weeks and months, I began to say, what if I begin to sell some of these pictures of my own and some other folks, and then we used all the money to send meals and help kids who were hungry? And so could we do that? And so I began this little organization called Eat Art. And we just began selling photography and using the money, all the resources, to send meals to kids. And we developed this little website. Here's what it looks like today. There's myself and all kinds of other artists. And notice up here, we're getting close to 400,000 meals that have been sent just through photography. Is that pretty crazy? To, to kids all around the world. And I want to promise you something. I had no idea when you just post that online and say, well, maybe we could use some of the proceeds to send meals to kids. I had no idea what God would do with that. I want to tell you, if you want to start something significant for God, you always just start small. You take that first step. And take a look at this verse in the Bible. Zechariah chapter 4. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I'm going to preach to some of you right now. And I'm not sure where you are and where you're sitting on any of our campuses. But here's the thing I want to say to you. Because you have something beaten in your heart that you know God wants you to do. Here's what I want to say. Don't be embarrassed to start small. Whatever direction it is God's leading you. Don't be ashamed to take a small first step. In the direction that he's leading you. Because that's how it all starts. Maybe the only thing keeping you from doing something significant is that very first step. The faith to start. Maybe one of the best ways for us to to realize this and put this into our terms in our world is to think about when you're around little kids. Or maybe your little kids. Think about your kids when they were tiny and they took their very first steps. Do you remember that? Do you remember when your 8-month, 10-month, 12-month, 14-month-old little boy or girl took their first steps? I'll tell you this. 
You can be the most laid-back parent. You can be the most calm, unexpressive parent on the planet. But when your little kiddo starts to, you know, do that drunken Frankenstein kind of thing, you know, and he starts to do that kind of thing, you know what you do? You freak out! You freak out. Look at them. They're walking. They're walking. And you start saying, you know, well, you know, they're obviously going to play professional sports because look at them. Look at what they're doing. Or they'll probably be in the Olympics if they want to. We'll get to that later. But they're just look at them walk. And, 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 and they're taking these first steps. It's unbelievable. And we cheer them on. It's fantastic. You know what I think? I think the exact same thing happens with God. I think when we have the faith to start in the direction that he's calling us, when we take that first step, I think all heaven looks down. I think God looks down and says, yes. Look, look at him go. That's my Frankenstein right there. I, I don't know if he says that, but something like that. That's a, they're walking. They're, they're moving in that direction that I'm calling them to go. And I want you to know, you already know this, but as soon as you start to walk in that direction that God's calling you to go, you're going to meet up with some resistance. You're going to have some distractions. You're going to have some people who, who want to cause you to, to stop. And because that is the case, that's what we really want to dive into today. How do we keep walking in the direction that God is calling us, even when the distractions come. If you have a Bible, I want to ask you to find the book of Nehemiah. A Bible, if you have a smartphone, if you have a tablet, Nehemiah chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament of the Bible. And this is where we're going to study for the rest of the morning. We're going to see some really cool things about Nehemiah and how God used him and how he got past some distractions in his life. Just a few things about Nehemiah while you're finding that. Uh, he worked for a guy who was the king of Persia. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. And so what the cupbearer to the king does is basically they taste any liquid, especially usually wine, before the king would taste it. So the cupbearer tastes the wine before the king. And the reason uh, he did that, which sounds like a pretty cool job, professional wine taster, the reason he did that is because oftentimes they would poison a person by poisoning the wine in that day and age because it would kind of mask the poison and, and that sort of thing. So whenever the king, you know, is getting ready to drink some wine, Nehemiah would take a sip of that first and then everybody would just kind of, you know, watch Nehemiah. He's okay, he's okay, he's okay. Okay, it's okay to drink the wine. And, and so that's what he did. And because of that, uh, you know, the, the lifespan on that job was rather short sometimes. But uh, he, he, had the, he had proximity to the king and he had the trust of the king of Persia. And it's at that point in his life that God gives him this divine direction, this burden to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They'd been in ruins for like a hundred years. And so he sets out on this significant vision and as soon as he does, the critics just start crawling all over him. And as we look at these distractions today, I think you're going to be amazed at how they also apply to our lives when people are trying to distract us. So let's dive into this. If you're taking notes, the first one, the distraction of alternate opportunities. Alternate opportunities. Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. When the word came to Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though at that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come. Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now pause right there for a moment. See, see what's happening. 
Uh, and Nehemiah and his buddies are working on this wall. And the way I picture it in my head, I'm going to move back here to this ladder that I have here on stage. They're up working on the wall on their ladder. And it's probably not a Home Depot ladder, you know, kind of like this. But they're all leaning up against the wall putting rocks in place, you know, it says they're getting ready to hang the gates and things like that. And so they're all up on their ladders doing work. And Sanballat and Tobiah and these other folks realize, you know what, they're going to do it. They're actually going to, this thing that God is calling them to, this amazing thing that's going to make this thing a fortress and the walls are going to re be rebuilt and all kinds of things like that and all kinds of implications, we have to distract them. We have to provide some resistance and so they start trying to get him to come down off the ladder and talk with them and meet with them. And they start providing all of these other opportunities. And what happens is Nehemiah sees right through it. Continue on in the last part of verse 2. He says, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent the messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave and go down to you? And four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. I love that. So, so he's up there on this ladder, and they're saying, hey, we need to meet with you. And he says, sorry, four times I'm doing this great project, and I can't come down. I love in the New American Standard version of the Bible, it says this, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Would you say those last five words with me, Parkview, out loud? And I cannot come down. One more time. And I cannot come down. I'm doing a great project. And I can't come down. I love just putting those into our hearts and our minds as we're doing something significant for God. I mean, picture it again. Picture what's actually happening in this section of Scripture. Nehemiah is up here on this ladder. He's, he's building. He's taking care of things on this wall. And, and this messenger comes and says, hey, Nehemiah. Um, Sam Ballot wants to meet with you. And Nehemiah says back down, I'm sorry, that's, that's great, but not right now because I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. So what do they do? do? Do his detractors, do they just give up? No. Just like in our lives, when people are trying to distract us, do they just give up that easy? No. They send another person, hey, Tobiah wants to meet with you. Ah, sorry. Hey, uh, Geshem, you know, he's the Arab guy. He wants to meet with you too. No, nope, sorry. And they keep just sending back the same message. And Nehemiah keeps sending back four different times. He sends back this very same reply. Check it out again. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I cannot be distracted by all of these things you're trying to do because God has called me in a direction. Maybe we could have that in our hearts when people, even good, well-meaning people, try and give us opportunities that are actually just distracting us from the great opportunities that we have, that God is calling us to in our lives. Well, that's what Nehemiah does, and because of that, he keeps sending back this same message. His people get upset. They get mad. And so they even take it a step further which a, with a much stronger distraction. Check this out if you're taking notes. It's the distraction of false accusations. Not just good opportunities or not just opportunities to get us off, you know, our game, but false accusations. Look at this in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 5. 
Then on the fifth time, so they keep sending people trying to get him to come down from his work. On the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand, catch this, was an unsealed letter. Now pause there for just a moment. This has huge significance to us, even though we may not think it does. What, what is the deal with this unsealed letter? Now, th- those of you who have ever written a letter, and I know we don't write you know, letters a lot anymore. Some of you are thinking, what in the world is a letter? It's you know, a piece of paper, and you put it in an envelope, and you lick it, and stuff like that. It's, it's pretty cool. But and what, what happens, whenever you send a letter or whenever you get a letter in the mail, it's always going to be sealed. Right? You always seal the letter. Now, why do you seal a letter? The letter, because you don't want anyone to read it right but on this occasion this is an unsealed letter and so they're waving it around they're trying to distract him to come down for these other meetings but now they're waving around this unsealed open letter basically and in this day and age it could take weeks and weeks for mail to reach the person it was trying to get to and so who knows how many people how many hands had seen this unsealed letter how many people had read it as it passed around you know what I was thinking this week you know what this is exactly like this unsealed letter you know what it's just like it's just like a public Facebook post that's exactly what it's like it's an unsealed letter have you ever had somebody write something on Facebook this is what I think about you just for everybody to read anybody can see it who wants to see it this unsealed letter is like a public Facebook post and here's what the post says it is reported among the nations now we don't know who but it's being reported okay and even Geshem says it's true well everybody knows Geshem's a good guy so if Geshem says true that you and the Jews have been plotting a revolt and therefore are building the wall moreover according to these reports you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem there is a king in Judah Now, this report is going to get back to the king. So, come on. Let us confer together. You see what's going on here? You see what's happening with Sanballat and these boys? They're up there building this wall. And he says, hey, 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 he he sends this public letter that everybody's been reading while he's up there on the ladder. He says, hey, we, we know why you've been building the wall. It's so you can lead a revolt which is actually the opposite of what he wants to do. Hey, if we know that you're trying to become king, that's why you're doing all of this. And can you imagine how that must have made Nehemiah feel? Attributing these things to him? He, saying that he's in this project for his own good, his own personal gain. Can you imagine that? Well, let me just ask you this. Have you ever been there, Parkview? Have you ever just been trying to do something good for God and your family? And people start casting stones at you about it? Have you ever been just trying to follow after God in your life and people at school or people at work, they just don't get it? And so they, so they start to ridicule you and you're starting to think, what's going on? I'm just, I'm just trying to take that step and, and follow God's leading. It, it hurts in our life. It must have hurt in Nehemiah's life. And when these false accusations, when they begin to circulate around about us, Oftentimes, one of the very first things that we want to do is we want to get on the phone and we want to start calling people, you know, and and set those people straight. And we want to get on Facebook and we want to start firing back at people and that sort of thing. We want to defend ourselves against all of these false accusations. 
But I want to tell you this, Parkview, and, and hear this because this is just so true. When, when you start, no matter who you are, 16 years old, 26, 46, 76 years old, when you start to move in a divine direction, a direction that God is calling you to go, you can just count on receiving some false accusations. It's just going to happen. And, and the reason is, is because when people see you saying no to great opportunities, they're just going to think you're up to no good. When you start staying focused and not just getting all fragmented by all kinds of opportunities, people are just going to assume you're up to no good. If you're taking notes, write this down in your notes. This could be for you or your kids or your grandkids. It's so important. People will not ascribe pure motives to your strange actions. Whenever you start to step out for God, it's going to be a little strange. You yourself are probably not even going to know exactly where everything is going. And I promise you, people are not going to ascribe pure motives to your strange actions. So just know that's coming. And I also want to say this, the very worst thing that you could do, the worst thing that I could do, is spend all of our time trying to straighten out all of our critics. How many of you know that that's sideways energy? Not everybody is always going to agree with you, especially when you start doing things for God and for his kingdom and taking a divine direction. And the worst thing you could do is try and just defend yourself constantly to all those people. Notice that's not what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah doesn't come down off the ladder and say, oh, shoot. An unsealed letter. Is that an unsealed letter? It looks like it's an unsealed letter. Who's had it? Who's seen the letter? i got to figure out who's seen the letter. Okay, i got to find everybody who's had the unsealed letter. i got to think back and see whoever's touched the unsealed letter, who could have read that letter, and i got to talk to them about who's seen. And it's the same way with the Facebook post, right? i got to see who's seen the post. Was that a public post? They said that about me? Okay, i got to figure out everybody who's seen the post, and I'm going to get with them who saw the post, and I'm going to try and talk to them because I know they've seen the post, and I'm going to talk to them and let them know that's not true about me because of that post. That, that, right? That's what's going on. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that with the letter. He doesn't go to the king. He doesn't come down off the ladder and go to the king and travel back to Persia and say, okay, you've probably heard, okay, you've probably heard I'm leading a revolt. I'm not, okay, I'm just not. I'm not revolting. I'm not doing that. You probably have heard I want to be king. I don't. I, I have no desire to be king. He, he doesn't do that. He, he, he just continues on with the work. In fact, take a look at Nehemiah's response. I think this is great. In chapter 6, verse 8, he says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. That's what he says. That's his response. You just see him yelling down, hey, that's not happening. Just making it up. Quit trying to distract me from what God is doing in me and through me in my life. And because of that, just a few verses later, verse 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Because he was able to stay focused, because he kept moving Step by step, brick by brick, in the direction that God was calling him, this huge, significant thing was done in just 52 days. He didn't fall prey to all those false accusations of his, of his critics. And, and with his actions, Nehemiah didn't say it all the time, but with his actions, <clears throat> he whispers I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. No, that's great, that's great, but I'm, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down right now. God is doing something great in me, and God is doing something great through me. And I'm sorry, but I can't come down. Parkview, as we pull this whole series together, 
Can I just be really bold with you today and say this, that some of you, through this series or through other moments in your life from other people or God speaking into your life, some of you have a divine direction that you know God's calling you to go. You know it. He's been calling you for a few weeks. Maybe he's been calling you for years to go in a direction. You know it. This divine direction has actually become a divine burden in your life. There's something that you feel like you've got to do. Here's what I want to just say. Could could you let this be your attitude when people are trying to distract you from whatever it is God has you to do? Could you just say, you know what, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down right now. And maybe even this week, the, the mental attitude and mindset and image we could have is you could literally just climb back up on that ladder of whatever it is God is doing in you, whatever he's doing in your family. And you could say, I'm, I'm doing something great for God. He's doing something great in me. And I can't come down. I'm sorry. Parents, adults, as you're trying to make a living and, and support your family and all of that, that's fantastic and that's, that's great. But, but maybe at your workplace they're saying, would you take this work project and would you take this work project and would you take some extra weekend hours and, and would you go on this trip? And, and they have all kinds of work and all kinds of work and all kinds of work for you to do. And that's, don't get me wrong, work is fantastic. But maybe the work at work is taken away from your work at home. And you need to just be able to say, you know what, I can't take another project because that work He's going to take me down from my work in my marriage or with my kids in this season. So I'm sorry. I'd love to have the resources, but I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. For those of you who are in college, for those of you who are singles, you want to date somebody, you want to get engaged, you want to get married, and there's all kinds of people you could date. Maybe you could date him or her, or you could date her, you could date him and all that kind of thing. You have all these things, all these options. But you know if you start dating this one person, you know they're going to pull you down. They're going to pull you away. You know it. They're going to pull you. There is no way you're going to keep following after Christ and maintain your integrity and your purity if you date this person. So you have to say, you know what? I would love to date you, believe me, but God is doing a great work in me and I cannot come down. I'm gonna keep doing and keep looking to what God is calling me to do. I can't be pulled down from this. For those of you who are teenagers, junior high, high school age, I know there's all kinds of people wanting to distract you especially friends at school. There's all kinds of parties that happen on the weekend, on Friday, on Saturday, and you'd love, you would love to go to some of these parties, but you also know there's all kinds of not good going on at those parties. And so you decide to stay home on a Friday night, which is, I know, like the curse to a teenager. You're with your parents. But God's doing something in you. And you're becoming a young person that's following after Jesus. And so you say no to the party. And I know that's hard. And you know how I know that's hard? is because I'm raising two teenagers right now. And there's a whole lot in them that would love to be there. But they have the guts to say, you know what? God is doing something special in me. And I cannot come down. I just won't do it. Let that be our attitude. When we have people who are trying to distract us in our world this week from what God is calling us to do, may we say to our distractors, I am doing a great work. God is doing a great work in me, and I cannot come down. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thanks for today. 
Thanks for the opportunity to, to study your word and to be involved in this series where, where we consider you and your direction and your leading for our lives. God, thank you so much for this story in Nehemiah and the people who tried to distract him and get him all off his game. But God, thank you for the wisdom we can learn there, how we can also uh, sidestep our detractors and, and keep working on the things and in the direction that you're calling us to go. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this study. Thank you for your word that guides us and leads us in our lives. God, may we have the faith to start in the direction you're calling us. In Jesus' name, amen.